to welcome Jubilee Church in Washington. We love you. So glad that you're here in Jubilee Church at the Lake. Uh, Jubilee is one church in multiple locations. And the big, the big idea behind that is not that this is a franchise. We're not here today because Brian's building a great brand or an evil empire. Um, it, it's real simple. We're here in multiple locations because Jesus actually loves people. And he actually left heaven to come to people, to be where people live. And then he sent his church to go and bring the good news of the gospel to people. And so it makes sense that we should plant churches and plant locations in places where there are people because Jesus loves them and he wants to speak to them and show them the good news of the gospel. We're going to be in John 17, and this is a book of the Bible that was inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by one of Jesus' best friends, a guy named John. And today I'm going to read verses 6 through 19, and then we're going to pray and dive into this. Starting in verse 6, Jesus is praying before he's arrested and goes to the cross, and he says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word, and now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 10. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. That's Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus so that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in your great love and mercy, though we were sinners, though we transgressed your word, though we are guilty of treason, ignoring and belittling you and worshiping things that aren't God's. In your great love and mercy, we thank you that you actually sent your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you that because of your deep love for the Father and your deep love for humanity, you willingly came to this earth. Jesus, we thank you that you were literally born in a barn and that you lived in a broken, fallen world and you tasted of suffering and you tasted of rejection and loss and you know what it's like to be hungry and you know what it's like to have pressures put upon you. And we thank you, Jesus, that in your obedience to the Father, you actually went to a Roman cross. We thank you, Jesus, that 2,000 years ago in time, in history, you were hung between two thieves. And we thank you that you actually willingly bore our sins and the punishment that we so justly deserve. 
And we thank you, Jesus, that you are alive, that you came back from the dead. And because you're alive, you have the power and authority over sin, Satan, and death. We thank you so much for this moment. And we just confess today that we need you. Jesus, my friends don't need um, just some speaker. They need you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and show us Jesus? Reveal Jesus. And give us courage to leave this church, to scatter, to live with Jesus and for Jesus between Sundays. We pray these things for your name and for your fame and for your glory, not our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let me give you the context of what we just read. In John 17, Jesus has wrapped up three years of public ministry. And those three years of public ministry have been phenomenal. Jesus has walked through the area of Judea, what is today Palestine. And Jesus has been doing two things in essence for three years. He has been preaching good news and he has been demonstrating the love of God. Jesus was first and foremost a preacher of good news. The day that he started his public ministry, he walked into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he opened up a scroll that contained the prophetic writings of a guy named Isaiah. Um, Words that were written over 700 years before Jesus was even born. And, And Jesus found this passage in Isaiah describing the ministry of the Messiah. And he opened that passage up and in front of the synagogue, Jesus read, he is going to come to set captives free. He's going to come and proclaim release to prisoners. He's going to come and open blind eyes. He's going to bring good news to the poor. And then Jesus in this dramatic gesture, in essence, like drops the microphone, walks off the stage and says, that just happened. Okay. Um, Jesus was first and foremost, this preacher of good news that God is holy And though we're sinful, he's also a God of love. And Jesus came to talk about reconciliation, that through God's son, Jesus, that sinful people could be brought back into right relationship with God. And he went from town to town and he preached this fantastic news. He proclaimed fantastic, life-changing, awesome news. Um, But in addition to preaching great news, Jesus was a demonstrator of the love of God. Jesus healed the sick. He opened blind eyes. Um, He fixed weddings that were jumping the rails, right? He he takes water and turns it into wine and not skanky box wine, but good wine. Um, Jesus, Jesus does things like ruin perfectly good funerals by raising dead people. Jesus demonstrates his authority over creation by walking on water and calming storms and casting out demons. And, And everywhere he goes, he just brings, he brings rightness, He fixes relationships and he fixes bodies and he gives us this taste of what things will be like one day when all things are redeemed and restored and renewed. But see, this is the end of Jesus's public ministry. He's done preaching good news in that part of the world in his earthly ministry. He's not going to lay hands on any more sick people in his public ministry. He's not casting out any more demons in his public ministry. In fact, he's saying something that should cause you at first reading to have a great sense of anxiety and stress. He's saying, I am leaving. And he's pastoring his little group of disciples. And he's saying this, in essence, um, I'm going back to the father. And at first glance, it just seems like, why on earth would you do that, Jesus? You've served people in this region. In fact, Jesus quite literally turned that region upside down. 
He brought the great news of reconciliation to God and he demonstrated the kingdom of God by healing the sick and raising the dead. And now he's leaving and it just makes me want to say at first glance, like, why don't you stay? Why don't you keep going from town to town and preaching good news? Jesus, what about the people in the rest of the world? What about the people in Africa? What about the people in Europe? What about those um, that are going to one day live in America? Why don't they get to taste of what you did in that little geographical region um, of Judea? And so what Jesus is saying is this. Though he's going back to the Father, his ministry of gospel proclamation, good news preaching and sharing, and his ministry of demonstration, restoring things that are broken, is actually not going to end with his death and resurrection. It's actually going to be exponentially multiplied. He's going to accomplish something through his cross and resurrection that's going to enable his disciples to carry on as the hands and feet of Jesus what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. And instead of it being one little geographical locale, it's going to be all over planet earth. He's actually going to take his ministry and message, his preaching and his work of demonstration, and he's going to multiply it all over the globe through his church, which is his body. Now, if you have read this gospel and you've studied the disciples without a religious lens where they're like capital S saints and they just sort of glowed and emanated goodness and floated three inches off the ground and never got sweaty, never stunk. Um, If you could possibly take off those lenses for a second and just have an honest reading of the gospel, Jesus's plan to continue his ministry just seems like a terrible strategy, right? He's leaving and he's sending these guys at us to go into all the world. He's going back to the father, but he wants them to go and continue his ministry, right? Just think about these guys that he's talking about. Um, These are guys like John who on a missions trip gets offended that they don't receive Jesus. And his solution is, hey, Jesus, you want me to pray that God will just burn everybody to death? (laughs) Right? Like that guy's getting sent out. That doesn't seem like a good plan. Um, James and John, two brothers, sent their mommy to Jesus to ask for special favors. They're getting sent out. Guys like Peter, who, who literally pulls Jesus aside, and just imagine how this goes down. He pulls Jesus aside to correct him and explain that he was forbidden from going to the cross. Like, how badly is that conversation going to go for you? These guys seem like a total train wreck, man. And not only is he sending them, but let's just be honest, it just seems like a bad idea that we're Jesus' hands and feet in our city as well, doesn't it? Um, When I look at my life and my brokenness and my sin and my selfishness and my propensity towards cowardice, it just seems like it's a bad idea that Jesus is going to continue his ministry of good news preaching and kingdom demonstration through me and through the people in our congregation in Oklahoma City. It just seems like a terrible strategy. But here's the beauty of it. What's actually happening is not that these are rock star missionaries that Jesus is sending out because they're so phenomenal. It's not that God looked down and saw Peter and James and John and the other apostles and said, man, these guys are phenomenal husbands. They're incredible leaders. They're really pure. Um, They don't cuss and they don't look at porn and they don't get drunk and they're generous with their money. Um, They drive Honda Priuses and they help the environment. They drink ethos water from Starbucks and give to the rainforest and they help little old ladies. So we need these cats on our team. Let's draft them and then we'll send them out. Um, That's actually not the story of the gospel. It's actually this, the church of Jesus Christ, even going back to the apostles, are a group of 
sinful people, weak people, broken people, so that as they preach the good news of Jesus and as they demonstrate the love of God by caring for the poor and engaging the cities that we live in, it would actually be in their weakness that God's strength would be manifested. It would actually be in their brokenness and dependence on God for anything good to happen that the glory and majesty of God would be demonstrated. And so what Jesus is saying is this, I'm going back to the Father, but this thing ain't done yet. Actually, it's about to have gasoline dumped on the fire and I'm going to fill my people up with my spirit and I'm gonna scatter them all over planet earth to be proclaimers of good news and demonstrators of the love of God. And so Jesus is praying to the father and he knows that it's gonna take a miracle for us to be faithful in this calling. It's gonna take an act of God for us to represent Jesus as we need to represent him. And so today, as we study this text, what we're gonna look at is what Jesus prays for. What is, it, what, what is required for us to be faithful missionaries? Um, what does it look like for you as a stay-at-home mom to be a faithful missionary to those people in your sphere of influence? What does it look like for you um, as a plumber or a doctor or a lawyer or an architect or a teacher or a student to be a faithful missionary between Sundays? And what Jesus is actually going to pray for in this text is that though they're going to be in the world, he wants them by the power of God to walk in fidelity to Jesus, in fidelity to Jesus. Uh, So let me just define fidelity for you. Fidelity encompasses three big ideas. First of all, fidelity, if you open up the Webster's Dictionary, is going to say this. It's the quality of being faithful to your husband, wife, or sexual partner. So Jesus in this text is actually praying for covenant fidelity for his missionaries as they get sent out. And in essence, what that means is this. Jesus is the head of his church. And his prayer is that we would be so captured by the beauty of God in Christ that our hearts would be chained to him through the grace of God and that we would actually give up and abandon lesser lovers. That we'd be so caught up and captivated by the goodness of God in Jesus that we wouldn't chase after a thousand other silly trinket gods that promise life and give us bondage, but instead we would remain faithfully, covenantally connected as the church to the husband of the church, Jesus. And then the second definition of fidelity, which is equally applicable, is it's the quality of being faithful or loyal to a country, fidelity to one's country. And so Jesus in this text is gonna pray that they would remember that they're in the world, but they're not of the world. That ultimately you as a citizen of Washington or the Lake community or here in St. Louis, um, your citizenship ultimately is not first and foremost as being one that lives in this city. Your citizenship is first and foremost as one that belongs to a king and a kingdom. And as Jesus unpacks this, the need for missionaries walking in fidelity is for us to recognize that we're not to build an eternal, comfortable kingdom here, but instead to remember that our citizenship is first and foremost in heaven with our father. So that we are sojourners and strangers. And this is a momentary deal that we're here. We're not supposed to act like we're going to be here forever. We're actually supposed to engage in our city, knowing that our citizenship lies elsewhere. And then thirdly, this is amazing. Um, Fidelity means It means the degree to which something matches or copies the original. 
matches or copies the original. Jesus is going to pray in this text that as good missionaries, we would remain in fidelity to him so that we could actually represent Jesus to our city. And that's a pretty tall order. So how on earth does this happen, man? Um, and, and look right here. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, this is a safe place to explore these claims Jesus is making, right? That he's God in the flesh and that he went to a cross for your sins. Um, and actually, this is a safe place to wrestle with not only what does God save you from, but what does God save you to? See, as, as we talk about being missionaries, what we're saying is this, Jesus's death in your place rescues you from sin, He took your sin and he was crushed and drank your wrath. And that means that he can be completely washed by Jesus. You can be cleansed and forgiven. And Jesus set us free from death by rising from the dead. That we don't have to live in bondage or slavery to the tyrant known as death, but Jesus has defeated death. He punked on death through the resurrection. And Jesus has set us free from the kingdom of darkness. And those are things that he saved us from. And that's beautiful and that's wonderful. But there's also things he saved us to. He saved us to a life of participating with the father in the family business of redeeming and reconciling and restoring all things to himself through his son. He saved us to having every part of life actually matter with eternal significance the way we work as an act of worship and provision, uh, the way we engage neighbors as an act of mission, it actually matters eternally now for those that are following Jesus. And so take your Bibles. I want us to talk about the foundation of that missionary fidelity. Um, What does that missionary fidelity at work tomorrow morning get built upon? And, And let me give you some really fantastic news. The foundation of your fidelity to Jesus as a missionary is not built upon how good a person you are or how great you are at avoiding temptation or sin. It's actually built on something way more unshakable than anything you can do. So take your Bible. Let me show you this. Big idea, number one, what's the foundation of fidelity? I'll give you three things. First of all, it's that we've been called out of the world by the Father. Look at verse six. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. The foundation of missionary fidelity is not that we in our own goodness are really different than the world. It's that we were of the world. We were sinners by nature and choice. We were born into sin and then we chose lives of sin, constantly ignoring and belittling God. But God in his love and mercy pursued and chose and rescued his people out of the world that they might be sent into the world. This is what Jesus says in John 6, and it's pretty amazing. Jesus says three things in John 6. He says, first of all, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws on. Like, you don't just decide to come to Jesus because our hearts are dead to Jesus. And so it's actually this merciful pursuit of God that rescues people that aren't even looking for him and makes their heart come alive. And then Jesus says in John 6, this is equally phenomenal, that all those that the Father draws to Jesus are going to come. That he actually has such a way of speaking to hearts that when hearts hear his voice, it's beautiful and they want what's offered. And then Jesus says thirdly in John 6, that none that the Father draws to Jesus are going to be lost. Like like you're not going to be his one day and then drop an F-bomb in traffic and he's going to revoke your membership. Right? Uh, and that's not a justification for sin. It's actually, it's actually a way in which you can rest in him and grow in holiness. 
So track with me, look right here. This is fantastic news. What's the foundation of being a faithful missionary? Well, it's not how good you are. It's not how smart you are. It's not how well you have done cleaning yourself up and making God pleased with you. The foundation of being a faithful missionary to our city is that you were wicked and I was wicked and we didn't want God and we weren't looking for God and we didn't even know God and we were worshiping ridiculous trinket gods that couldn't save us. And then what did God do? He came to us in that drama and mess that we were in and he reached into the world and he grabbed us and called us out of the world so that we might love and follow Jesus. The foundation of missionary fidelity, friends, is that God's chosen you and God's pursued you and God has lavished his love on you in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. That would be enough. Jesus adds to that. In addition to having this unshakable foundation of God coming after you when you didn't want him. Your fidelity has also been on the fact that you have kept his word. You've kept his word. Look what he says in verse six, the second half. He says this, and they, the disciples have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and they've come to know in truth that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. Now, um, if, if you're just super honest about this text, I know it's church, it's no place to be honest, but let's just try it. Um, if you're real honest about this text, it really doesn't seem like these guys have kept his word, does it? Because they're still wrestling, man. Um, days after the resurrection, Jesus is going to come back from the dead and he's going to appear to his disciples. And though he's told them multiple times that he would die for their sins and come back from the dead, he actually does it. And and they're all like, dude, I did not see that coming. (laughs) Right? He's told Thomas, he's going to die on a cross and come back from the dead. And then that happens. And Jesus appears to the other disciples. Thomas is not there. And they walk up to Thomas and they say, Hey, you know what? That stuff Jesus said he was going to do, he actually did it. He died and he's back. He's alive. We saw him. We ate with him. And Thomas is like, nope. Lest I put my fingers in the scars in his hands and the scars in his side. Thomas says, I will never believe. So it doesn't seem like these guys have a huge quantity of faith or quality of faith. And yet Jesus says they kept his word. What is he talking about? See, I think what he's driving at is this. It's not the quantity or the quality of their faith. It's the object of their faith. Here's what he's saying, man. Um, You've come to know in truth that I came from the Father and they've believed that the Father sent me. Here's what he's saying. No, Peter is not ready to be crucified upside down for Jesus yet. In fact, in just a few hours, he's gonna run and deny Jesus three times. And if you read the text properly, I think in some ways he actually cusses out a little girl as he's denying Jesus, which is just adds bad to bad, right? John's not ready to be boiled in oil or marooned on a desert island for Jesus. They're not ready for that. But here's what's happened. The Holy Spirit of God has opened up their hearts to the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. He's God in the flesh and they've believed And it may be immature. It may not be super robust. It may not be the kind of faith that they're ready to die for yet, but it's there in purity nonetheless because the source, the object of their faith is Jesus Christ. Look right here. The foundation of your fidelity, of your covenant faithfulness as a missionary is built upon the fact that God 
met you in the world and chose you. And as he gave you a heart to see Jesus, you've actually believed in Jesus. What this means is that we as missionaries to our city, we as those that have been sent to Washington and to the Lakeside community and here, um, we're not sent because we've killed it and been awesome. We've, sent, we've been sent because we are those that demonstrate grace because we can say, look what he did for me. He chose me and he loved me and I believe in Jesus. And then finally, and this is where it gets so amazing, the foundation for your missionary faithfulness as a Christian in the world, it's that the Father rescues you from the world and that you've kept the word of God by believing that Jesus is the Christ. And then thirdly, and this is just unbelievably good news. It says this, the disciples are unique in Jesus and the Father's care. Look at verse nine. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. So just think about this for a second. Jesus is about to have his beard ripped out. He's about to be spit on. He's about to be beaten mercilessly. He's about to have the meat ripped off of his back as he's scourged. He's about to be crucified between two thieves. And worst of all, he's about to have our sin put on him and the wrath of God poured out on him. And you know what he's doing in this moment? He's praying for his friends. Because he is the high priest of his church. And what that means is you have some really imperfect pastors. Because any human pastor in this world is imperfect. But you have one perfect pastor and his name is Jesus. And in his moment of pain and anxiety, he's thinking about Peter not falling away. He's thinking about John not turning his back on the faith. He's thinking about James and what he has for him. And he's praying for his brothers. And think about this, the perfect son of God, when he prays, guess what? What he prays happens. He says, I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for you. Now, this doesn't mean that he doesn't love the world. Because we see in John 3, 16, that for God so what? Yeah, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But, but think about this, though he loves the world with this redemptive affection, though he loves sinners and desires that none should perish, get, get this, there is a unique care and commitment that God has for those that are in Christ Jesus. The foundation for your missionary fidelity is not that you're amazing. It's that Jesus Christ loves you so much and he stands as your mediator and intercessor. So in your struggles this week, in your ups and downs, in your bad moments and in your good moments, you have a perfect pastor named Jesus who is without sin standing in the presence of the Father is the second person of the Trinity and he is ready and able to come to your aid. Scripture says, this is fantastic news. Scripture says that we don't serve a God that doesn't know what it's like to be weak and tempted, but we serve Jesus who knows what it's like to be weak and tempted because he took on flesh. And yet, you know what? He never sinned so he can come to the aid of those that are weak and tempted. This week, as you engage in mission in your city that people might know Jesus, the foundation of your faithfulness to Christ as a missionary is built on the work of God, not your work. 
It's built on him coming and rescuing and pursuing you and your faith being in Jesus, not yourself or your good deeds. And in the fact that Jesus stands eternally to intercede for you as your perfect and good pastor that loves you and delights in you and is not against you, but for you. So Jesus then goes on secondly, and he talks about what that missionary fidelity is gonna look like. What's required on top of that foundation? Um, When you go to school tomorrow, if you're a college student, what is it that is required for you to walk in missionary faithfulness? Jesus is gonna give us three things. Uh, let, Let me show them to you. First of all, he says, Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. Uh, What is he talking about? See, in our culture, a name doesn't mean a lot, does it? You just name people, whatever. You thought it was a cute name, so you named your kid that. Um, But 2,000 years ago in their culture, this language of name is is way more than that. The name signified the very essence of who you were. Your name included your character, your reputation, your word. Um, Your name was everything. And so when Jesus says, you've given me your name, here's what he's saying. The fullness of God, his nature, his attributes, his goodness, what he hates and what he loves. The fullness of God is in Jesus Christ in the flesh. And Jesus comes and dies on a cross. And here's what he's saying in essence, keeping us in his name means this. Our identity and our joy and our hope is tied up in the finished work of Jesus in which you perfectly see the nature and character of God. Here's what he's praying Faithful missionaries, may you be amazed by who you are in Christ and the love of God. May your identity not be rooted and grounded in how many people you win to Jesus or how much money you make or how your abs look or what you drive. Here's what he's saying. To be kept in his name means that faithful missionaries are in awe of Jesus and they're defined by Jesus And that means that they don't just need evangelism classes to try to figure out how to talk people into becoming Christians. They're so excited about Jesus that what they delight in comes out of their mouths. Are are you tracking with that? Like you praise what you delight. If I have one more person try to convert me to being a Cardinals fan, I I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do, right? Like you got some rabid Cardinals fans in here. If I liked baseball, I would probably be a Cardinals fan. (laughs) Baseball makes me go to sleep. So I don't like baseball, but if I did, you guys are so stinking excited about the Cardinals, I might jump on. But, but here's the deal. That relates to Jesus, like in a greater, ultimate, perfect way. The idea of being missionaries in the world is, is not that we're trying to be like timeshare salesmen, right? Like just sign on the dotted line and trying to manipulate people into coming in. The idea is this. When you realize the weight, the gravity of God's glory that's been revealed in Jesus that his perfect holiness, his hatred against sin, his perfect justice and his mercy and his love collide in the cross so that you could become not slaves, but sons and daughters. How do we not tell people about that? 
the way he's loved us and the way that nothing can take us out of his hand and the way that he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, when you believe that, when you're kept in his name and defined by his name and when you're in awe of his name, that just starts to come out of us as we talk to friends and coworkers and people that we do life with. Jesus prays, may they be kept in your name. And then he prays this, secondly, to be faithful missionaries, he says, may they also be kept in your church, kept in your church. Look at verse 11. He says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Um, in, In my city, it's really popular to say that people like Jesus, but they're not a big fan of the church. And we've got a lot of people in my city, I don't know if this contextually relates to you, but in my city, it's really common to hear people say, um, well, I'm not a part of any one congregation. I'm a part of the capital C church. Now get this, uh, theologically, there is a capital C church, right? There's a mystical church that's not seen with our eyes. You are, when you're born again, added to a church that includes guys like Abraham and Moses and Esther, right? You're a part of that great cloud of witnesses when you meet Jesus and your hearts change. And that's beautiful to be a part of that church. But I don't think Jesus is talking about some mysterious, invisible unity here. I don't think he's saying, may you um, recognize that your unity with Moses is amazing. May you be really good at getting along with Moses. I think what Jesus is actually saying here is way less esoteric and and ethereal. I think what he's actually saying here is that for you to be faithful missionaries that represent Jesus to the world, you can't pretend like you're Rambo. You need other people and you don't find discipline and support and correction and rebuke and help as a missionary in the capital C invisible church. You find it in a body of imperfect people that you do life with. Um, You can go ahead and judge me on this and email Brian and tell him about it. Uh, But I'm just, dude, I'm just a big Rambo First Blood fan. This is a good movie, right? This is a good movie. Go ahead and let that judgment out. Just go ahead. Heap it on me. Heap it on me. Jesus still loves me. Um, But I just love that movie. Like if you get a movie where a dude jumps in a tree and gashes his arm and then sews it up himself, I'm in. I'm in. Um, but, but here's what's ridiculous. We, we've taken that idea of the action hero that's got one gun and there's like 200 dudes trying to kill him and he just points like this and they all drop dead. We, we've taken that and we've applied it to our spirituality. And we think that we can be these lone ranger Christians that's us against the world and it's just me and I'm out to win my neighbors and follow Jesus and mortify my sin. And, and let me just tell you, that's stupid. We worship and love and commune with a God who is one and yet who has eternally existed in three persons in perfect community. If you think that you can represent that communal God who is one who exists in three, if you think you can represent him solo, you've missed the Bible that I'm reading. For you to be a faithful missionary to your neighbors and coworkers, it demands participation in the church of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said that the church is to be the mouth house of God. As we proclaim the good news that sinners can be reconciled through God's only begotten son, it takes one another to do that faithfully. You know what this means? Missionary fidelity means that you can't follow Jesus's calling on your life as a sent one. And by the way, look right here. Uh, Even if you've been a Christian for like two hours, you are a sent one. You can't follow his calling on your life to be a missionary by yourself in isolation. It requires team. 
And let me just say this. That's why community groups, they're not just groups of people that get together the same eight folks between now and when Jesus gets back to eat bean dip and have seven unspoken prayers and have the one crazy lady that keeps bringing in stuff that you don't want to eat. <laughs> right? If you're that lady, I'm sorry. I don't know you. I've just been around this game long enough to know that there's one in every group. Right? It's like, it's not that, man. It's not, let's just get together with the same Christians and talk about the same stuff week in and week out and week in and week out. You know what it's supposed to be? It's supposed to be a gospel community. People that are together, not because of affinity, but Jesus. And people that are together to love Jesus and follow Jesus and repent of sin and correct and rebuke one another. And then to together say, how can we work together so that your friends that don't know Jesus can meet Jesus? How can I help you share the gospel? How can I help you reach your neighbors? How can I help you in your block figure out who are the widows that need help so that we can love and demonstrate the mercy of God to them? How can we engage the poor in our city? How can we bear one another's burdens? How can we find people that are under God's judgment and wrath and need to hear the good news that Jesus took that so that they could be set free? Let's do that as a team, not individuals. So Jesus says, fidelity is built upon the foundation of the fact that God chose you, you didn't choose him. So he's not gonna cast you off. And it's built upon the fact that your faith, though imperfect, is placed in Jesus and he is perfect. And it's built upon the fact that Jesus is standing interceding for you in this difficult world. He's praying for you like he prayed for these cats. God, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. And then you work that out. You work that out by being all about his name. I wanna be defined by Jesus and in love with Jesus and amazed by Jesus. And if that happens, you're gonna be a good missionary. And then it's worked out by being kept in church, team, not isolation. And finally, lastly, Jesus prays, For them to be ministers of the gospel that walk in fidelity, they have to be kept in his word or his truth. Look at verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. For us to walk in covenant fidelity as missionaries, Our posture with God's word has to be one of humble submission, not critical scrutiny and judgment. My friend Elliot says this, there's three ways to relate to God's word. You can stand on top of God's word and read it like a critic. So just as a scholar would read Homer or Shakespeare, you can just read it as another piece of literature and you can critique what you like and what you don't like and, and just have no sense of awe and respect that this is the way in which God's revealed himself to humanity. Or you can do what most of us in the evangelical world do. You can stand beside God's word. Here's what that means. Um, That means the things in it that you like and you find beneficial, you take into your life and the things in it that you find difficult and troublesome or culturally irrelevant, you just cut those parts out. So you cherry pick what you believe and what you don't believe. Or you can be a missionary to the world in which we live and stand under God's word, recognizing that it has the authority to judge culture. Culture doesn't have the authority to judge it. And for you to be a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you must walk in the fear of the world, being in the world, but different than the world. 
You must walk in the fear of the Lord. So let, let me put it to you like this. Throughout history, because we don't know history, we, we tend to repeat it, right? And if you look at movements in the church, what tends to happen is people start to want to reach people and they, they, they start to want to engage culture without the truth of God's word and they start cutting parts of scripture out that they find to be offensive to the world. And instead of reaching people, their denominations and their churches go away. Um, in, in Oklahoma City, there's a church that recently did this big campaign to remove anything in the Bible they found offensive about sexuality and marriage. And their hope was that their church would be filled with people and that they would reach tons of people. And so one of our local news stations did a report on them and they took cameras and filmed their Sunday morning service. And it was like four people. You know why? Um, Because Jesus doesn't just plant churches. Jesus kills churches. If we think that we can walk in covenant fidelity in the world without a fear of God and a recognition that he has revealed himself fully in Jesus Christ and that the whole Bible's about Jesus and you need it all to follow and love Jesus, what's gonna start to happen is instead of being a faithful missionary, you're just gonna be a syncretist. Do you know what I mean by that? You're just gonna be like culture and synced up with culture. And let me just tell you something. Can we just admit that no one's ever been born again because we were so cool? Like no one's ever looked at Christians and said, oh my gosh, I hate my sin and love Jesus because you're so stinking cool and your music is phenomenal. Just doesn't happen. To to be faithful missionaries, we can't be syncretist, nor can we be separatist. You know what separatists do? Um, They tend to be more fundamentalist and what they like to do is withdraw from the world and just be critics and critiquers of the world. So here's what you'll see from the separatists. Every time the Grammys happen, you'll see people write long blogs um, talking about how people that don't know Jesus are doing really sinful things on TV. Can I just point out, sinful people that don't know Jesus are supposed to do sinful things on TV. Why would that surprise us? See, what the separatist does is the separatist says, I don't wanna get the world on me, so I'm gonna retreat from the world. And what the syncretist says is I'm going to be just like the world so that I don't get hated by the world. But what the missionary says is this, I'm going to be in the world for the good of the world, but I'm going to be faithful to God's word and to the truth of the gospel, even the offense of it, so that people might know Jesus. My prayer for your church is that as you continue to multiply, as you plant more community groups and plant more locations, as God adds more people um, to the location in Washington and at the lake and here in St. Louis, as more people are saved, my, my prayer is this, that we would all recognize together that we are called to be sent ones. Jesus is not physically in St. Louis or the lake or Washington, but he desperately wants to be there through filling up his church with his spirit and scattering us all over the place. And what happens on Sundays is beautiful and rich and matters, but what happens between Sundays is every bit as sacred to Jesus. I pray for your church that your baptisms in the next 12 months would grow exponentially. I'm praying for your church that you would recognize that it's not Brian or Seth or Steve's job to reach your coworkers, right? Because it's just not, it's just not. The job of the elders in this church is to serve you and pray for you and be there for you and love you and equip you and then remind you that you are sent. God has sovereignly put you in your neighborhood with your neighbors. God has sovereignly given you your job, even if you don't like it. 
He's put you there. God's the one that put you in that particular family with those difficult relatives that don't know Jesus. And he's put you there to be salt and to be light. You've been sent. So here's what we're gonna do. If we could, can we just stand up for a second? I wanna pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for this church. God, I thank you for the redemptive history that we get to participate in. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve, Lord, that that there's been something you've been doing on this planet so that you could show off your glory and beauty and splendor in Jesus. And we just thank you that Jubilee Church is a part of that. We thank you that what you've done in their three locations is a part of that. We thank you that what you've done in these men and women is a part of that. And so now, Father, I just pray for those that are a part of these locations that don't know Jesus, that are here because friends invited them, that are here because they just showed up. I just pray that you would show them that Jesus loves them and that their sin, though way, way more offensive to God than what they even realize, their sin's been paid for on a bloody cross and that you love them and you actually wanna be friends with them, not call them into slavery. I pray, Lord, for those that know Jesus, that you would just remind us this week that we're to be faithful missionaries and that the foundation of our faithfulness is not us or our goodness, it's you, you're amazing. It's built on you, it starts with you, it ends with you. And so, Lord, would you send us out of here resting in your finished work and yet with an urgency to see our city reached? Resting, but with an urgency. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing. God, I pray that you would even right now bring to mind coworkers and neighbors that we're to love and serve and engage. I just pray, God, that you would grow this church, that you would add more people, that they would live in gospel community, and that you would see fit to just demonstrate the strength of your right arm by saving a bunch of people in this city. Would you do it? You can do it, and you're willing to do it. Would you do it? In Jesus' name. Amen.